Well, as I uh, said a little bit at the beginning of the service, I still can't get over that uh, to be in the presence of real Christian people, uh, to be together, to be able to have the service of Holy Communion together in this way is just a delight. And this service of ordination, which as uh, Keith has rightly said, we've looked forward to for some time to actually be happening today in this good place. It's wonderful. And I have to say, Bishop Stephen Andrews, that uh, it was about a month ago that I wrote a letter uh, to thank Philip Kwan for his amazing hospitality uh, for those years uh, at Crimson Tees and what a provision that was, not only for Christ the King, but for all of us in the Anglican Network in Canada. Uh, and then now, I think this is the fourth week that uh, Christ the King has been meeting here uh, in Leonard Hall here at Wycliffe College. We're extremely grateful for the hospitality. And uh, it is particularly wonderful, given the fact that uh, our candidate for ordination did his theological training here at Wycliffe College. So it's all a happy thing. My text comes from, I'm going to try to preach on Luke 12, the 35 to 48, which was just read by Deacon Marion. Verse 40, I think, is, is the summary. It's the punch. It's the thing you got to get and keep. Uh, and if you hear nothing else, if you just latch onto this, that would be good. Here's the words. Jesus said, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's Luke 12, verse 40. I, uh, I want to say that I was delighted uh, that, uh, to be able to preach on this uh, passage. Uh, I, and I, I do so because uh, preparing for the return of Christ has been something which has been of great importance to me. Um, I have told the story in many settings, so you may have heard it, but uh, at a particular time, I was working for the navigators at UBC, but I went away for what I called a day with the Lord, having no idea what, what was going to come out of that. Uh, but I, I started, I thought, I, I brought a Bible, I brought a notebook, and I brought a hymn book. And those were my tools for the day. Uh, and uh, I, somewhere along the line, started reading in the Gospel of Luke. Didn't get very far along when I came to Luke 117 which is the angel Gabriel addressing Zechariah, who was to be the father of John the Baptist, quoting from Malachi 4, speaking of this one who is to come. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Well, it was one of those times where, you know, the, the verse jumped off the page. And I had a sense that just as John the Baptist was a forerunner who went before Jesus in his first coming, preparing a way, that there was a call for a John the Baptist ministry in these days in preparation for the coming or the return of Christ, and that he wanted a people prepared for the Lord. And I had a longing to be part of that team. And it seemed to me that a good thing to do would be to be a pastor who would have a unique opportunity in the preparing not just leaders, you know, the elite of whatever it is, but in fact, 
the whole range of a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. Well, I, I say that because I think it's pertinent to the, to the passage we're looking at. I also want to tell you that I grew up in a family where my mother uh, longed for the coming of the Lord. As the days went by and as she got older and older, uh, there would be no time when you would pray with her where she wouldn't beg the Lord for his return. Uh, and just longing to see the Lord and having such a sense of being prepared. Literally, her life revolved and was oriented by the return of Christ. Well, that's a background, personally, of why it is, for me, a delight to speak on this passage. It's in Luke 12. If you think about the scope of the Gospel of Luke, uh, I think of uh, in Luke 9, where Peter declares of Jesus, you are the Christ. And everything changed at that moment. There was a pivot. Immediately, Jesus, in I think Luke 9, 21, uh, says that, uh, that he is to go and to, the Son of Man must suffer many things, verse 22, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day raised. Uh, and later, by verse 44, he said, let this sink into your hearts and minds. In the middle, in between that, uh, there was the, uh, the transfiguration uh, and where, in fact, Jesus uh, glorified before Peter, James, and John's eyes uh, is, is there where there's Moses and Elijah. And what are they doing? They're speaking to him about, the, about his departure, which he would accomplish in Jerusalem. And so from Luke 9, 51 on until, I think, Luke 19, about 28, there is this passage, this trajectory towards Jerusalem. It had to be Jerusalem because everything of importance in terms of the saving actions of God were to be there. It says in Luke 13, at the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to, to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And on it goes. And so there is this passage on the way to Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, there is this, this teaching, which is at the beginning of Luke 12, uh, literally it's thousands. And they certainly weren't into social distancing. It says they were stepping on one another. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, there was teaching, there was uh, controversy, there was speaking to the twelve, there was speaking to the crowd, there was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it's in that context that we find this passage which is preparing for the coming of the Lord. Perhaps you'll remember that in fact, uh, just before that in Luke uh, 12, uh, it said, I, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for your life is more than food in your body than clothing. And then verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And so all of this is the background. And so what we have here is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to, to die and to rise on the third day, and then some 40 days later to ascend to heaven, and then some days after, 10 days after that, there's the giving of the Holy Spirit. And all of this Jesus is thinking of and then thinking beyond and thinking about life uh, between the giving of the Holy Spirit, the ascension of Jesus, and his return. And if we wonder what, whether this passage, I, I read uh, some commentaries which suggest that this is not about the return of Christ, but this is in fact about some sort of uh, crisis which was coming their way. I think it's a failure to take seriously that Jesus, for instance, uses the words son of man, son of man, son of man, thinking clearly about Daniel 7. And so in the context of security and the faithful care and love of the Heavenly Father, he says, you also, you too, and uh, I, I had enough experiences as a, a, in school where I had teachers said, yes, you, Charlie Masters, you who were talking to your neighbor when I was talking, yes, and sometimes even called me a little higher <laughs> to sit right there where the teacher was, which didn't seem like an honor at all. But anyway, there was this you also approach. And this is the, what I think Jesus is doing in the midst of this passage Verse 40, he's saying, you also, straight between the eyes, don't miss the solemn challenge. And Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? It seems like he's trying to deflect this away from him. And in fact, Jesus responds, not directly as he's often the case, but he talks about two categories of people, wise and foolish, ready and not ready. And so, yes, this passage is for everyone here today and everyone on Zoom and everyone in the whole world. This passage is for us. The Son of Man. I've already said I think that Jesus is, when he uses this uh, familiar description of himself, rather than I, he's saying the Son of Man, uh, he is thinking clearly uh, about Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all the people's nations' language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so it is that as Jesus in Luke 5 and Luke 6 and Luke 9 and Luke 9 and Luke 17, for as the lightning pass, flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He is talking as the one who is the king the coming one, the one who has come first, is going to do his saving actions in Jerusalem, and then one day is coming back. And the whole force of this section that we're looking at 
is a call to make sure you're awake. Make sure you're ready for his return. Be ready. In verse 35 and 36, he gives really three images. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Jesus is drawing on familiar images. Uh, gird your, up your loins for action. This is, uh, this is hitching up your robes in such a way that you can run for miles or you can be engaged in battle. So the posture is not laid back and wake me up when it's all over, but in fact it is a poised, ready for action. One of the things I like of our traditions of standing for the gospel, for instance, it's not only a sense of reverence for the Lord Jesus, but it is also by posture saying, here we are. We're ready for whatever it is you say. Ready for action. More than that, you're lots of oil av available so that your candle or your light will not go out. And thirdly, uh, as a servant or a slave uh, who loves his master, who stays awake as long as it may be days and days, the wedding feast, but the moment that tap on the door is there, immediately, at once, they fling wide the door. Now, I think that's, what I like about this is that, in fact, it puts the return of Christ in a very positive, joyful, uh, not a, you know, make sure you're awake or you're in big trouble. There is that aspect. There is a cost and loss and judgment for not being ready. But the whole picture that Jesus is trying to portray is one of joyful anticipation for his certain coming, his certain coming. Truly I say to you, the master will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Complete reversal of the way it's supposed to be. The servant is supposed to serve the master. And here is the master, no, no, you sit down there. And he throws this incredible banquet, and he makes a point of personally serving those who would have expected to be doing the serving. Well, we know that this is what Jesus does. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this was not just a saving action blip. This is the way he is. And so when we ponder, for instance, uh, heaven, as we think of eternity, we think of one who will continue to, uh, uh, to serve. Uh, I love Ephesians 2. I love it that, uh, you know, after the first three verses which speak about, uh, about uh, who are by nature children of wrath, and then but by the grace of God and this glorious picture. But one of them, verse 7, talks about who in the surpassing uh, who in the days ahead, in the ages to come, he will show his, the surpassing riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the picture that, in fact, the master does incredible serving. 
and he takes great delight. He's amazed and joyful when the servant is ready for him and makes a point of serving them. Similarly, the manager says, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But on the other hand, there is cost and loss, serious loss, for failure to be ready. There's loss, there's punishment. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, verse 45, verse 46, the master of that servant will come on, that, on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Verses 45 to 47. So the options are pretty clear, uh, and, uh, and uh, there's one which is obviously the one that, we're, that Jesus is looking for, longing for, and bidding for, which is to be ready. One of the things that's interesting in consistent always is that when Jesus and the scriptures speak about his return, they speak about the certainty of it, the coming king, but also the complete unclarity or lack of, uh, of knowing when. It's when you, least, when you don't expect it. It's like a thief in the night. If you're not already prepared, there's no time to scramble or adjust. Too late. But know this, that if the master of the house, verse 39, had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also, our theme verse, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Knowing, however, is responsibility. And in fact, there is a distinction between those who are aware and those who aren't aware. But the one who did not know and did not deserve a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him will much be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more, the more. Clearly, in the context of this service of ordination, when Josiah, you are to be ordained to, to the diaconate and to be one who proclaims the good news of the gospel. The, the aspect of preparing, first of all, yourself for that coming is one thing. But this John the Baptist preparing a people for the coming of the Lord aspect is surely there. Ezekiel 33, uh, the watchman on the wall kind of picture is what I think we're talking about here. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, God says, you shall give them warning from me. Verse 10, and you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we, are, we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked return from his way and live. Turn back, turn back. This is the part of the force, part of the weightiness of this commitment which is being done. And, and as we pray for the Holy Spirit, it's in the light of we looked, uh, Josiah and I spent a little bit of time looking at some of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and, uh, and so when we think of the diaconate, I think of 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. But more than that, we think about the fact that we are called to this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There is an urgency. There is a, a, a begging. Uh, there is a lump in the throat. There's not a grabbing by the throat, but there is an urgent urging of of those to be reconciled to God. Just as God, who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, he in turn calls us to this ministry of being ambassadors for him. And so as I think of this call of God, I think of the, and the return of Christ, I think of Peter's words. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. This is 2 Peter 3. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Son of Man is coming at an hour which we do not know or cannot uh, be certain of when. But in fact, he's coming. And we are called to be those who are ready, but more than that, to invite others to be ready as well. Because the reason the Lord is tarrying is not because he's slow, but it is because he wants more to repent. Let's stand to pray. Oh God, we give you thanks that in your Son, Jesus, who is the Son of Man, who is one day returning, you have invited us to be ready for that great and glorious and happy day and to anticipate it with joyful longing. We thank you that not only can we be ready ourselves and our families, but you have entrusted us this ministry as ambassadors to ask others and invite others to be prepared as well. We bless you and thank you, and we entrust the rest of this service to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.